podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's time. Time for the talking to stop. Time for the athletes to perform. Time for us to hold our breath and keep our fingers crossed and watch. It's time for the greatest show on earth. Yes, it's time for Tokyo 2020 in 2021. I'm John. And I'm Michael, and it's time for the final Anything But Footy podcast before the Olympics. Although I'm alarmed you started by saying it's time for the talking to stop. Now, (laughs) this is not the first time we've done a big preview of this Olympic Games. In fact, I think thanks to COVID and the delay of a year, it might be around our fifth or sixth preview of the Olympics. But this is the final one, fingers crossed. And we are joined by potentially the greatest British Olympian there's ever been. We're so obsessed with process and we're so obsessed with kind of getting it right that you just kind of, the here and now just consumes you, you know, and you're just always trying to be, get better here and now really and what's gone before, what happens kind of in the future is, is irrelevant really. We're just, we're so obsessed about trying to get it right, right now that this is kind of taking all our focus and all our energy up. That's cyclist Jason Kenny, who's joining us to talk Tokyo, track cycling, lockdown, cycling on the road, the family and the future. It's a cracker. Stay with us. We'll also run through the first few days of the Games and who to watch out for. Hear from two more of Team GB's newbies, Charlotte Worthington and Scarlett Mew Jensen, names to watch out for, a BMX freestyler and a British diver. And we'll round out all the latest Tokyo headlines from Japan, both in the Olympics and the Paralympics. You can get in touch with us, of course, and we do love to hear from you, especially when you say the nice things. On Twitter, <laughs> at anythingbutf, you can message us on Instagram and Facebook. Find us online. Our website is anythingbutfooty.com. There's also a Contact Us page on the website. Or you can just drop us an email directly, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. And before we start, Michael, you mentioned that people are just suddenly realising the Olympics is about to start. So do us a favour, tell your friends about this podcast. If people want to know what is going on about Tokyo, pass on the details of this podcast. Yeah, it's amazing. I think the football has been so dominant in our sporting landscape for the last month that people have forgotten that there is another British football team entering an international competition on Wednesday of next week. That is when their Olympic campaign starts and people, I think, will suddenly wake up and realise that it's the Olympic Games in a week's time. Exactly. You'll be able to have football and breakfast once again next week. Now, 376 British athletes, 22 reserve athletes, 26 sports and for the first time in its 125 year history Team GB will be taking more women than men to a Summer Olympic Games that's 201 females compared to 175 males 53% to 46% it's also the largest ever delegation for an Olympic Games on foreign soil 122 returning Olympians of which 51 are former Olympic medalists. So we've spoken to many of them over the last few weeks. You can listen back to Maddie Hinch, Max Whitlock, Tom Daly, Katie Marchant, Adam Peaty, and make sure you've heard them all before Friday next week to get you in the mood. But as we said, Jason Kenny is heading to Tokyo for his fourth games, aiming to overtake his old teammates to Chris Hoy for the most Olympic gold medals won by a British athlete in the Olympics ever after accruing six 
golds over the previous three games. And Michael caught up with Jason at his training camp in South Wales. Well, Jason, here we go again, selected for another Games. How does it feel this time around? You've been in this position before, of course. Yeah, so this is my um, fourth Games now. Um, yeah, it's good. It's always special. It's, it's nice now that, you know, our, our, our pre-Games holding camps just started and this is kind of, the, this is the best bit really now when it all hopefully starts to come together and, and you can just sort of relax and enjoy it really. All the hard work, you know, has been done. We've been grafting back in Manchester and now hopefully we can kind of see the fruit of our labour and see how fast we can actually go. How different is the build-up to this one with everything that's gone on over the past 16, 17 months? Well, it's, it's a lot longer, I think, because obviously we know we sort of started the build-up when it got put back a year, so it's the longest build-up I've ever done to an Olympics. But um, it, it is, it's a little bit different, but I think we everyone has got used to life being different now, haven't they? And, and so, you know, we, we're just kind of trying to make the best of it, really. And obviously we've been given this extra year and just trying to see it as an opportunity, really, to be one year better. Um, and so kind of that's it. It's just trying to put a positive spin on everything. Um, obviously, it's, it's going to be slightly different. There's going to be different, slightly different challenges to normal Olympics, a more normal Olympics, whatever that is. But, um, you know, we'll just sort of, like I say, we'll try and make the most of it and make, try and make it suit us. Were there points in the last five years when you won in Rio where you thought that Tokyo might not be on your agenda? Yeah, I mean, as soon as I finished in, in Rio, I had no intention of doing any more, really, to be honest. Um, I kind of made that decision quite early in the cycle last time around um, and just sort of see it out. And then obviously Rio went really well um, and then just kind of walked away really and had a year. And, and I think it was good because I, I completely switched off. You know, I think in the past I've taken breaks um, but I've never really totally switched off. I've always been thinking about coming back. So I think to step away um, and to totally switch off was was kind of, was, was good really. And to have no intention of ever coming back sort of meant I only came back when I was ready and, and there was no pressure then and I kind of came back fully refreshed. So uh, so it was good really. It was quite nice. I mean, this is all I've ever done. So it was, it was nice to kind of take a bit of a, a gap year, if you like, and uh, and then come back kind of refreshed and ready to go. This is the point of the process and the cycle where we all talk about what's happened before, the medals you've won before. But you've always told us you don't think about the history, you don't think about the medals. Is that really true? Do you not think about the fact you've got six gold medals in the wardrobe and you can create a bit of history here? No, I think we're so obsessed with process and we're so obsessed with kind of getting it right that you just kind of, the here and now just consumes you, you know, and you're just always trying to be get better here and now really and what's gone before what happens kind of in the future is, is irrelevant really we're just we're so obsessed about trying to get it right right now that this is kind of taking all our focus and all our energy up and are you going for three more in Tokyo yeah I'm in three events at the minute um so I, obviously our main focus is always the team event which historically has, has put us in good shape for the others anyway so um, we've kind of stuck to that theme this time. We, we'll go full gas for the team event and um, and see what we can get out of that. And then just the, added on the back of that, we'll, we'll kind of anything will be a bonus, really. It's been obviously quite a long time since we've been able to see you guys competing at, say, a world championship level. But are the Dutch the main competitors, the main rivals this time around? Yeah, they were, you know, 18 months ago. They, they were, like you say, that's the last time we saw everyone as well. So it's funny because we have no idea, really, when when we rock up normally you have a pretty good idea because there would have been competitions not that long ago but but now competitions have been so sporadic they've been so spread out and 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 
you know, and everyone's done some competition, but no one's done them all together. And you never really know what everyone's got until you kind of throw it together. So, um, so I, I suspect there'll be a few curveballs turn up, um, you know, because it's an it's just an extra year, isn't it? But that's such a long time in the year of an athlete. You know, you, you can go from being triple world champion one year to not to not even qualifying the next. It's such a long time, and and particularly you know if you're you're younger athlete or an older athlete. It's, 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 you know, you could be one year older and dropping off the end, or you could be one year younger and, and kind of bursting in the team. One, you know, one year older, so if you're younger and bursting into the team, so it is, um, it is a massive amount of time, and it's, and it's, it is, it's a funny experience. It's, it's strange to go into it completely blind, you know. Like I think we're going quite well, but you, you don't really know until <laughs> so you compare it against someone. And last one from me for the moment, but I was reading an article this morning that said after England were beaten in the football on Sunday night, these are some reasons to be cheerful. And you and the Olympics and the Paralympics were one of those reasons to be cheerful. Do you understand why people are writing that now? Do you feel that pressure that the country now wants to galvanise behind Team GB? Um, I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. It's always nice, you know, to be supported. Um, I, you know, I think we were talking about it at breakfast this morning. Weirdly, actually, if we if we get a silver medal, it will be um, celebrated. So I don't think there's any reason to not be happy anyway. To be honest, you know, so far this this year is going quite well. I think for British sport, and so I think you know, hopefully we can build on that momentum and we can keep pushing. That was Jason in typically relaxed fashion. Ten days out from the Olympic Games, and we'll have more from that interview uh, between now and the end of the podcast. I'm not sure I believe him and Laura. They both told me, they both looked me in the eye and said, we do not look at history. We do not look at medals. And they've got 10 gold medals between them. They could finish these games with 16 gold medals between them because they are both going for three events each. I simply can't believe that a couple a married couple who potentially could have 16 gold medals between them don't care about medals. <laughs> but I suppose it's like any old thing, isn't it? Where we all do it. How much do we talk to our other halves about the intricacies of their job or who their workmates are or what they're going to achieve, what their goals are for that year? Ultimately, for Laura and Jason... It is a job. Obviously, it's a passion as well. You can tell that. And the fact that he said, I actually came back after a year's break and really wanted to come back when actually after Rio, I thought I'd had enough. I think that shows the desire and passion that he has. But I say this about footballers that you don't have to enjoy, you don't have to love football to be a good footballer or to 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 be good at it. You, it is a job ultimately, and so for Jason and Laura, it is just part of what they do. I also do think that they're just quite chilled about it. That they're they're not that worried about it. That they they will, I think, looking at form, and you you just don't know, as Jason said, you don't know what the form is going to be uh, out there. But you would think that they would get another medal each to make them the greatest female, the greatest ever Olympian in British history. But I don't think they're that worried about that. They just enjoy getting on a bike, putting on the British shirt and performing. I think the setup they're in at British Cycling, which, as I've said in the interview with Jason, is a a data driven, it's a performance analysis set up I think he is right and I was probably being slightly flippant in what I said (laughs) he will just be looking at what his scores are and what his times are 
and what his physicality is telling him and that's what he'll be doing at the moment and when the medals come if the medals come if the results happen then that is as a result of the process that he's gone through for four of the last five years having taken that that 12 months out and i think that's probably it the focus every day is to come to work go to the velodrome in manchester fantastic facility do the session do the workout do the analysis if the scores and the data is telling you that you are where you are in this part of the schedule for the previous edition of the olympics or the previous one then great that's fantastic then you know that you're doing everything right everything you can do you know that people are working behind the scenes, sorting out the technology for you, making sure the cycle suit's right, making sure the bike is correct for you, making sure that everything else around you for the performance environment, the high performance environment is right, and you just go in and do what you do. Now, if those scores and that data is suggesting to you that you are not where you were at this point in the schedule, or you are ahead, or you are behind, then that's another conversation. But as long as the scores, the data, and everything they're doing day in, day out is suggesting they're on track, literally, and that they're on track mentally, and they're on track for what they want to achieve, and they do want to win medals, then that, I think, is is what they're there for. It's that word process, I think, that is the key one for them. And we, as you said, we'll hear more from Jason uh, throughout the podcast. We're going to talk to him about lockdown, the future, his family. But it's interesting that the schedule for the Olympics is very different from London and Rio. The track cyclists were kind of out first. And then all the other cyclists, apart from the road races, the first weekend in London, I remember, and Rio, um, the track cycling was kind of that first week while the swimming was going on. But it is different. And it doesn't start until Monday, August 2nd with the men's and women's team pursuit, which is obviously one of Laura's uh, events that we will see. And then it goes right through until the closing ceremony. So that is a different mindset for someone who has been to the Olympics before. Yeah, and I think what they've done with Tokyo, and I've been reading about this, is they have tweaked the schedule a bit. So Taekwondo has come forward in the schedule because it's a phenomenally successful sport in Japan. And obviously the schedule was put together when we were expecting spectators. And I think, therefore, it was brought forward because it felt that Taekwondo might then lift the, the home support, the home audience and provide a bit of a spark for the games. We all know from our own recollections of London and Rio, games take a little bit of time sometimes to whir in. That can happen at different times for different nations. So for GB and Rio, four or five days in, we were wondering where the first medal was, and suddenly it happened, and then yeah. suddenly it, it was a light. For the people of Brazil, it maybe was that second week when they, they won a medal in the athletics, of course, before it really caught a light for the local population in Rio. So what they've done in Japan is they've tried to kind of um, put that schedule together in the hope to try and get things going as quick as possible. Obviously, a lot of that is redundant now because it is behind closed doors. Yeah, although it is important that the media gets behind it and you start celebrating those medals, as, as you rightly say. With Brazil, it was always difficult when you're focusing on, say, team events, beach volleyball, football. You've got to go through all the rounds before you actually get to the point where you're going to win medals. And, and that's what we found in Rio. So let's look at some other Tokyo headlines. And we've actually just got some breaking news coming in uh, on the emails from uh, Thomas Bach, the Olympic president, Michael, which I'll read you in a moment. But he has said the Games were never going to be cancelled. He's a arrived in Japan and, and says that, you know, we p postponed it a year ago, 
but we couldn't let a generation of athletes down by not staging it. We, as you've said, will be no local crowds confirmed late last week due to the number of cases in Japan. And Tokyo now will remain in a state of emergency throughout the Olympics, which will in effect mean no alcohol served after 8pm. We do feel sorry for our journalist friend out there uh, in that in that one. And athletes will be performing in front of empty seats, which will be disappointing. But we've just had a statement from Thomas Bach and uh, the Japanese Prime Minister, in fact. So the president of the IOC, Thomas Bach, and the Japanese Prime Minister, Suga uh, Yoshishide. Um, and the IOC president said afterwards that he'd like to express his heartfelt respect and gratitude to the government and the people of Japan for welcoming us. Obviously, we are just a few days away from the Olympics. 85% of athletes and officials who live in the Olympic Village and almost 100% of the IOC members and IOC staff are either vaccinated or immune, is his words, not mine. I didn't think you could be immune from COVID, but anyway. Uh, The percentage of vaccinated international media is about 70 to 80%. And some stats for you, which will be interesting for a lot of people. 8,000 people plus have travelled to Japan already up to July 13th. Uh, They, of course, are going through a screening testing regime, pre-departure tests and health checks. Only three tested positive for covid after arrival and were immediately isolated with close contact subject to the relevant quarantine measures. So 8,000 people have arrived, three so far tested positive. There will be more tests and there will be more challenges ahead for the organisers, but it looks like potentially a strong start early days. Yeah, I'm absolutely convinced that we've not seen even the beginning of this story. I'm absolutely convinced there will be COVID cases amongst competing athletes. There will be maybe teams that have to pull out mid-competition for whatever reason. Um, But yeah, as you say, a strong start. The data, the statistics that we're being told at the moment is good. We know personally of people that were meant to be in Tokyo that are not now travelling because of positive COVID cases. So all of the rules the regulations that they've put in place at the minute are being adhered to the paperwork to get into the country and i was three quarters of the way through that before i made my own decision not to actually travel to tokyo for the games this year the paperwork is is thorough let's put it that way and obviously the 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 barriers that they've put in place seem to be working at the moment based on what you've just said there and Talking of COVID, it means Joanna Conter, who missed Wimbledon, is now out of the Olympics, out of Team GB. She's picked up COVID-19 after one of her team tested positive before the All England Championship, says that she hasn't trained for two and a half weeks. She says playing in Rio five years ago was one of the highlights of her career. Funny enough, interviewing her before the event was not one of the highlights of my career. <laughs> and she'll be cheering on Team GB from home instead. And also Roger Federer, who of course has never won a gold in the singles. He's won a gold in the doubles, a silver in the singles, losing to Andy Murray in 2012. Roger Federer has also pulled out because of a long-standing injury. So one of the big landmark flagship names gone. We mentioned some of the numbers of British athletes going to the Games. Three more were added in the last week. Katie Reid will make history after being confirmed as the first female C1 canoe sprint paddler to represent Great Britain as the event makes its Olympic debut on the Sea Forest Waterway in Tokyo. The Scottish karate champion switched to canoeing as part of the Girls for Gold training programme seven years ago. Middlesbrough's table tennis player Paul Drinkle will compete at his third Olympic Games after he was awarded a spot 
due to his ranking place and the withdrawal through injury of table tennis legend Vladimir Samsonov of Belarus. Michael's a big fan of Samsonov. He's got a post of him on his wall. Uh, following Laura Muir's decision to focus on the 1500 metres in athletics, she's just concentrating on that rather than the eight. Alex Bell has been selected to make her Olympic debut after the running the qualifying standard with a lifetime best performance of 158.52 at the end of May. It means British athletics will have 77 athletes now in Tokyo. And we got a good glimpse of a fair few of them last night, of course. Last night in terms of when we are recording this edition of Anything But Footy. At the gate said British Grand Prix. And some of the headlines from that event, I think Katarina Johnson-Thompson still struggling after her mm. Achilles injury. Be interesting what she can possibly do between now and the second week of the Games. The world champion, of course, in heptathlon. A world lead time. For our 4 by 100 metres team as well, yeah. looking in pretty good fettle for the relays. And interesting listening to some of the interviews with people like CJ Uja. Didn't really have a lot of time to practice, so it was just the aim to get the bat on round. So they'll obviously be working on that. And I think the focus in terms of relays has changed slightly in that I think now there will be a little group that specialise in going for that relay medal. It won't just be an afterthought, an add-on to the, the three guys that maybe have entered the individual event. There will be others working to get through the rounds there. So that was an interesting one. No Dina Asher-Smith, of course, but I think that's just precautionary. I wouldn't be too concerned um, that Dina Asher-Smith is travelling to these games with any kind of serious injury. I think in her position, with lots of people predicting that she's going to you know, maybe win a couple, three medals that it is just a precautionary measure. And a terrific performance from Jodie Williams be the other one I would pick out. And yeah. I think she could come back from these games. They've got to be in the hunt for a relay medal, mixed relays and the 4x4. Four four. And, you know, the way that she has discovered, if you like, in the last year or so, her prowess at 400 metre running, you wouldn't write her off in the individual. Now, I watched the second episode of Gold Rush and the story of Christina Harugu, the fact that she was the first British women to ever win the flat 400 metres Olympic title. I'm not saying that Jodie Williams is going to do that, but the way that she has found that event, it's such a tough event. We used to try and interview Christine after the 400 metres and she could hardly breathe. Uh, bless her. Um, and, and, and I never really understood it until you actually realise what, what impact the 400 metres has on your body and your breathing. So the fact that Jodie has discovered that during lockdown has come out flying a season's best and a personal best in the 200 and 400 in Gateshead last night was absolutely brilliant, as you say. Quick mention of Elliot Giles as well. Uh, in the middle distance, he's going in the 800 metres for the men, but he won the Emsley Carmyle as well in, at Gateshead, and in, which is more of a 1,500 metres distance. So he's, he's there or thereabouts, and you hope maybe this is the time for us to see one of our British men once again get a medal in those middle distances. It's going to be tough, though, because you just don't know, as Jason Kenny told us earlier, what the others are doing. This is Anything But Footy, the Olympic and Paralympic podcast. We're focusing on Tokyo 2020, which gets underway in just days now. Paralympic starts, of course, August 24th. And watch out for this week because athletes will be named for Great Britain in table tennis, equestrian and paracycling. The countdown for the Paralympics continues. And in this episode of Anything But Footy, we are joined by Jason Kenny, who is on the verge of British Olympic history. 
a six-time Olympic gold medalist in track cycling. Now, lockdown impacted on all of us. So we asked Jason what it was like in the Kenny household. And as we heard earlier, Jason and Laura don't often discuss their history-making achievements at home. Here's Jason with John. Jason, is it fair to say that if COVID never had come across our paths, you'd be sitting with your feet up in 2021? Yeah, it's just funny. it's funny that isn't it? What a funny world that we'd we'd be it'd be a year behind us now, um, the Olympics as opposed to kind of just just kind of coming up now. So yeah, it's uh, strange to think that, isn't it? But like I say, everyone's had to adapt and and change their their plans and their um, their kind of way of life, I suppose, really. And so we we're just doing that like everyone else, really. Were there parts of it you actually quite enjoyed spending time with the family, going out on the roads when they were quiet? The initial six weeks where, we were, where it was quite strict was, was really good. Yeah, we, I think it was good for us. Obviously, we were really lucky. You know, we, we have a decent sized garden and, and with it having a little one, me and Laura, we, we were just totally flat out because we were still training, obviously. Um, and we were just kind of pay, playing. We were like kind of ships passing in the night. Laura would go training, come back and I'd kind of hand over Albie and then I'd go training, come back and then he'd cheat. But it, it meant you had like you were forced into lots and lots of kind of really high quality time. Um, with a little one, which is obviously really, really nice and really special. Uh, so yeah, I think initially we really enjoyed that. And I think during the time we, I met, you mentioned about the the state of of British driving in particular. British cycling has has has, has, has come up with a campaign really, and, and Chris Boardman's been leading that as well about trying to sort of say that it was a better place during lockdown in in some ways, and actually we should try and and, and replicate that moving forward. I think so, yeah. I think, you know, it showed, I mean, we were helped by the weather, weren't we? But I showed, the, I think there was quite a, an appetite, really, for people getting out on the bikes. And when you you take away the perceived barriers to that, whether it's time or kind of uh, traffic and things, and um, you, you could kind of see people were did, did want to do it. It wasn't something that, you know, people don't want to do. Um, so, yeah, I think hopefully there, there will be positives to come out of this, positives to come out of everything. And hopefully that, that'll be one of them, you know, that... I, you know, ultimately, I, I think we all accept that we can't keep doing what we're doing where you turn 17, get get a car and, and drive for the rest of your life because, you know, it it's, it's just not practical, is it? <laughs> you know, we all spend our lives sat in traffic, don't we? And so, you know, I think everyone accepts that we have to kind of move on from that and we have to find an alternative. And, and yeah, I obviously think the bike's a great alternative, um, you know, along with obviously public, good public transport and things like that. And and I know, yeah, like you say, Chris and a few of us are doing a really good job of kind of hopefully bringing that alternative to people and, um, and and making it more accessible to more people. And do you and Laura worry about Albie on the roads? I think all parents do. You know, we all, we're all human and it's, you, you always worry about your kids, don't you? Um, but at the same time, you know, you you want him to be confident and you want him to kind of go and live his life and, and um, you want him to live a healthy life. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm a massive fan of cycling. And I always think the safety in numbers, the more people do it, the more normal it becomes, the more when you see someone on the road, you don't see an obstacle. You see, even if you don't ride yourself, you see a member of your family riding, you know, and, and, um, and hopefully give, give a little bit more respect and a little bit more room. Just final one on on him. Is he allowed to go to Tokyo, Albie, or is he back? Will he be back at home with the family? Yeah, he's back at home, so it'll be the longest we've ever left him, which is going to be tough. Um, he's he's here with us, so I mean, British cycling have been really good. 
Um, we, we managed to bring him on holding camp along with uh, the grandparents and the babysitters. So they're sort of in our bubble. They've gone through all the isolation and the testing and things like that because we're obviously quite strict now. Um, and um, and so, yeah, he gets to spend this two weeks with us now. And But when we jet off to Tokyo, he'll be at home um, with the grandparents getting spoiled rotten. So, yeah, I'm sure he'll be happy enough. I think it'll be harder for us than it is for him somehow. <laughs> I think what Jason was rightly saying there is wouldn't it be nice if we could just learn from something from lockdown and move forward in a positive way? And if that is car drivers treating cyclists with respect and vice versa, we know it's not always the, always the way, but I thought it was interesting. You know, we want kids on bikes. It's really hard to get bikes at the moment for youngsters. But we want kids on bikes. They have to be able to cycle on the road safely. Yeah, and I think in Jason Kenny, in Chris Hoy, in Chris Boardman as well, there are some terrific spokespeople available at the moment to the cycling community. And British Cycling as a governing body have been very heavily criticised over the years for what they've done in terms of that high performance environment, that elite sport environment. But as a governing body, they are so much more than just those cyclists you see on the velodrome come the World Championships or the Olympics. There's BMX, there's mountain bike, there's loads of other cycling disciplines that we don't even see in the games. And then there is that commitment to grassroots and mass participation cycling as well. And they are doing some fantastic work at the minute in so many different areas of society. And I use the word society very, very deliberately there because they are using the power of cycling and what we've seen, not just over the last year or so, but I think what we've seen over the last decade, which is the way that cycling has gone from being quite a niche thing in this country to being a very mainstream thing in this country. People wear replica cycling kits, not quite in the same way we wear replica football (laughs) kits, but you do see the lycra-clad cyclists out at the weekend, don't you, in the same way that we have for decades had Sunday morning footballers. And what British Cycling as a governing body have been doing is they've been harnessing this power to try and make those societal changes as well and using cycling in that right and positive way. And it would not surprise me if Jason Kenny decides to step down after this campaign. And I'm not totally convinced he will. I know Ed Clancy told us when we spoke to him that he's got Paris in mind already. He knows it's only another couple of years and he could be qualified for Paris. Wouldn't surprise me if Jason Kenny goes down that, that route that we've seen Chris Boardman and from being the, the kind of quiet, relaxed man of the team, actually being one of the most visual and one of the most communicative um, in terms of that bigger picture. And he'll look at his own family, he'll look at Albie, he'll look at Laura, he'll look at himself and think, we need to make changes. We need the roads to be safe for my little boy. I thought he spoke really well in the interview. And you said at the start he was so relaxed <laughs> and chilled. And I actually found him the most engaging I've ever had a conversation with him in terms of normally it's over a barrier. He's just won a gold medal. He's really not that interested in in talking about everything. But I thought he really focused on what was important, what his job is. And I think the family dynamics, as you said, they're an incredible family, a credible, successful family, but they're obviously very, very tightly Uh, knit together and working together in the future and I just felt that I agree with you I think he might go to Paris 
might. So let's find out. What does the future hold for Jason? As we say, track cycling is right at the end of the Olympics, up to the closing ceremony. What will happen at the opening ceremony and what will happen after the closing ceremony? Here's Jason again. Jason, you don't strike me as the kind of guy that gets overly excited about all the hullabaloo around the Olympics, things like opening ceremonies and spotting people in the village. Is that a fair comment? Um, no, I don't. No, I don't really think about stuff like that. I mean, I've only been to one ceremony. I only went to one closing ceremony um, at all the games. Um, but, I, you know, I, it's a shame this time because we're in a different village. The village is quite a special experience normally, um, but we're we're in the satellite village out in the sticks somewhere, so it's a bit. We're not in the main one, um, so we won't have the the normal kind of game that you, you play over lunch where you sit and try and guess the sports of people. Um, but there are some amazing people in the village. It's, it is it is a bizarre experience because obviously the difference in sight. You know, you got gymnasts, shot put, and weightlifters, and and all sorts of different people, and some amazing people come come kind of walking through the village. It's uh, it's it's a it's a really special place, and it's an experience in itself. Just kind of staying. So you and Laura are not going to be carrying the flag in that opening ceremony because obviously we are getting a male and female flag bearer this time. Yeah, I hear that. Yeah, I'm not sure we're even out there for it. I think we because we're one of the last events. I think we're literally racing on the last day, so I think that I'm not sure we're even going to be out in time for the opening ceremony. Um, but yeah, I mean that that should be good. Hopefully, like you say, it's a male and a female this time. So um, I'm sure it'll be special. Whatever happens. And three years from Paris, definitely, definitely not on your agenda. <laughs> uh, I have no idea, to be honest. I'm not planning beyond the end of this game. I've, I've enjoyed it, you know, this time. I really have. Um, it's a bit more relaxed for me personally. And, um, and yeah, I've just, just kind of sat back and, and had a good time and, and kind of forced myself to not get too stressed about anything, really, which has worked really well. And, and like I say, I've really enjoyed it. So, kind of, we'll see what happens after that. I might not have a choice. I might get pushed out of the team anyway or I might get injured or whatever and getting a bit old and creaky now so um, we're just going to see what happens after the game Well we wish you and Laura and the whole team all the best thank you so much for talking to Anything But Footy Thank you Cheers Well I think he's probably said that he and Laura are not going to carry the flag in the opening ceremony I think the You've the, lost your bet The schedule would suggest that he might not be there for that um, as, as a punt on that Tom Daly I've said that, and I mean, he's told us he's not going, but I think if he got the chance to carry the flag, he could. Jade Jones would be another one. She She's going to be there. She competes fairly early on in the schedule as well. We know a male and female flag bearer. So, but Jade... Andy, Murray, Andy Murray competed really early in Rio, and he still carried the flag because he realised what an opportunity it was and to be recognised by fellow athletes and Team GB. Tom Daly is in action over the first weekend of the Olympics, as you rightly say, Jay Jones within a few days as well. So question marks over them, but it has to be. And Max Whitlock uh, competing for the men's gymnastics, I think the first day, I think they are going for the, the team final to try and qualify for the team final. So all the big names that we remember from 2012 have carried it on in 2016, who you would likely think who would carry a flag. And it has to be a male and a female this year, as you said, for the first time, they're having two flag carriers. Who is it going to be? I think you might be right. I think if you get asked, you're going to try and make it happen, aren't you? One other name to throw out there would be Naomi Folkard, who's going to her fifth Olympics in archery. Again, archery is fairly early on in the programme. It's not a name that I think will stand out to people because 
There isn't the medals in the cabinet at Olympic level, certainly, that there is for people like Max Whitlock and Jay Jones. But if we go down the same route that we've always done, which is each sport individually votes for someone and then puts those people forward, and you can step back and say, no, I don't want to be included, as Steve Redgrave did, having already done it a couple of times. I would suspect Archer will put Naomi Folkard forward. Not all sports will have everyone there to do it. So there's another name, if you like, to throw into the pot. But I think, yeah, let's hope that Jason and Laura are at that closing ceremony carrying the, the flag in which Kate Richardson Walsh did um, five years ago. And maybe Jason will get his chance in the opening ceremony in, in Paris in three years' time. Who knows? Quick word on opening ceremonies. Love I actually them. can't stand them. Love them. I can't Love stand them. them. Love them. Uh, the, the only thing I've ever watched is the London 2012 one. I've watched Having them all. watched it at the time. Watched them and all. I've re- and I've rewatched it. I cannot... Can, can, just why? Why are you interested in watching another... I, I get the whole excitement of the day, of the opening. Day zero, as they call it in the Olympics. It is day zero. It's the start of everything over the next 16 days. I understand about watching it in Rio and watching it at London. Why would you go back and watch Atlanta? Well, I've watched them all recently. I've gone back on the the YouTube channel and I've watched Atlanta, I've watched Barcelona, I've watched but Los why? Angeles, I've watched Seoul. My favourite moment of the Olympic Games is that moment at the start of the ceremony where they cut to that helicopter camera above the stadium and there is that little bristle of excitement. And at that point, no one is talking and anything might happen. Who knows? what is going to occur over the next 17 days. Anything is possible at that point. Nothing's gone right, nothing's gone wrong. I love it. I'm an event chunky. I think that the ceremony is, is just fantastic. I love to see the history of a country through the medium of mime. What else would you want to be doing on a Friday afternoon in July than watching the history of Japan or Tokyo through hip hop? Yeah, I could think of a few things, to be fair. I've seen the fireworks again in Beijing, which were huge and, um, and humongous. I was at London 2012, standing outside the stadium when the fireworks went off at the end. I've never felt like the world was shaking. I've never been in an earthquake, fortunately, but it felt like I was in one of them then at London 2012. I get the excitement of the opening ceremony. I get the fireworks. I love Danny Boyle and what he did with London 2012. I don't really care about the others, I'm afraid to say. But... You know, I understand your passion. And frankly, if anyone wants to talk to Michael about any opening ceremony in the next week, get in touch with us at anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. Can I say one more thing? I think my passion for the opening ceremony comes from the fact I missed the opening ceremony in London because I was ah. covering Torquay against Leeds United in a pre-season <laughs> friendly before heading off to the Olympics. I was told I could go and cover the Olympics as long as I did Torquay versus Leeds United on the Friday night. And so I missed, I missed it. I remember driving home, listening to them talking about how great it was on the radio, and I hadn't seen it. So yeah. that, that's part of it, I think. That's where I've been trying to make up for lost time. <laughs> anyway, Understandable. Anyway, let's move on. One of the new disciplines making its debut in Tokyo is freestyle BMX. It's still the BMX racing, of course. That's sort of a point-to-point race, if you like. But this is more about the tricks, the flicks, and the skills, and impressing the judges. Now, Charlotte Worthington is a strong medal tip for Team GB, having won a World Championship medal before the pandemic. I caught up with her in her hometown of Manchester. 
Hiya, my name is Charlotte Worthington and I'm extremely excited to be selected for Team GB's BMX Freestyle Park team. Tell us what BMX Freestyle Park is because it's, it's brand new. People won't have seen it at the Olympic stage before. So BMX Freestyle Park is very different to other forms of BMX in the Olympics already like Supercross. Um, we have a skate park course set up. Um, people will use it to go 10, 15 feet in the air, upside down, hopefully land tires down safely. Um, it's extremely exciting and visual. You don't have to know a lot about it to, to enjoy watching it and to, to see what's good and what's not. Um, so it's just going to be a, a crazy event. And you guys are the future of the Olympic Games because with things like skateboarding and surfing, three-on-three -three basketball, these are the kind of sports we need in the Games if young people are going to continue to be enthused about them as each edition goes on. Definitely. Yeah, we're definitely the future of the games, um, uh, mainly because it's so accessible. Um, everyone has a BMX in the garage, generally. Um, people love surfing, skateboarding. They're all great hobbies to be involved in. And as we've shown, they can be more than just hobbies. They can be competitive uh, sports or they can be just hobbies as we started. We all started as a hobby, as something that we love. Um, and each one of these new disciplines, surfing, skateboarding, climbing, all have really, really great uh, communities within them. Um, and that's something that maybe isn't shown in a lot of the other Olympic sports that are a lot more old school and traditional. So it's definitely a new lease of life into the Olympics. And I'm guessing when you started as a hobbyist, the Olympic Games weren't on the horizon, weren't on your agenda. When did they come so sharply into focus? No, not at all. I mean, throughout my teenage years, I was always into extreme sports. Um, so I actually used to ride scooters or I'd, I'd muck about on anything with wheels. Um, and it was only when I was 19 turning 20 that I actually picked up a BMX like for good and thought, oh, this is going to be my new hobby. This is, this is what I want to do. And it was a year later um, that the whole British cycling team recruitment came about because um, it was announced in 2016, 2017 that BMX Freestyle Park was going to be in the Olympics um, and my friends used to actually joke about it with me like when I I just started they joked that I would be on the Audi adverts um, do, doing the Olympic the Olympic adverts and I was like oh no like no way and then just through taking a series of opportunities that came my way and, and just really enjoying what I did, um, it kind of led me down this Olympic path and it was something that I found I really enjoyed. Um, I definitely got, really, got a lot better at. Now, people listening might have just heard a bell ringing. They can obviously hear cyclists. We're sat in the middle of the velodrome at the National Cycling Centre in Manchester. So how does the National Cycling Centre, British Cycling, adjust to your discipline of the sport which by its name is freestyle <laughs> well our discipline is considerably different mainly because there's no numbers involved no data there's for them no to data go at. generally there's um there's no power equals speed and speed equals medals um because it's a freestyle creative sport uh yeah there's it's very different to the rest of british cycling uh, so they've definitely accommodated with us with helping fund a lot of the, the local facilities that we use uh, and even and definitely having an input on on our new training facilities. Um, and then we've also adapted by taking a lot of le lessons that they have from track. Like they know how to be professional athletes, they know how to win medals and a lot of that can definitely be applied to us. So there's been learnings on both sides.
And what will it mean to you to get to Tokyo and to be part of, of Team GB, to be in the Olympics, representing your country, 125 years of history. I know you've been told about that today. There's only 6,000 people that have ever done what you're about to do. Uh, it means the world. Um, it's like this whole journey that started as just what I did for fun and what I loved. Um, definitely has has taught me a lot about myself, a lot about other people, and um, definitely helps you become a, a better person through doing that and improving on yourself, which is kind of what being an athlete is, really. Um, so to be representing the country and to be doing what I used to watch on the TV um, myself and hopefully inspiring that next group of girls and, and boys that uh, will be watching it on TV, um, it feels amazing to, to be that pioneer and, and yeah, just hopefully be inspiring a lot of new people. And a medal coming home in the hand luggage? We're hoping so. We're, we're definitely looking at podium, but we're always looking at gold. Well, good luck. Thank you very much. Really looking forward to seeing Charlotte. We talked about Jason Kenny being relaxed when we interviewed Charlotte separately as well for the radio series. <laughs> she was so chilled. Yeah. And that is the, that's the sport, though, isn't it? It is a totally different event, and you have to have a mindset like I'm going to fall down like we heard from Sky Brown in the last episode when when she was badly injured you have to get back on that board get on that bike and try again and there is a, a certain mentality that I don't understand personally but I can see why um, people want to do it and I can see why it's exciting and I remember watching like the first snowboarding events and ski jumping events and the winter olympics and it actually makes it so much more exciting than just a race from here to there yeah i'm looking forward to it um i think the ioc and the olympics are going the right way in bringing some of these new events in we need to innovate i've said this before we need to change we need to move the games on and this is one of the ways of doing it so we've talked a little about the first weekend of highlights. Cycling could be a place for Great Britain to win a medal in the first weekend of the game. So just to run you through some of the things that are happening over the next week. As Michael said, football starts Wednesday, July 21st, 8.30 in the summertime here. 8.30 in this country. It's Great Britain versus Chile in the opening group game. Um, pool D I think it is of the women's football first round matches 8.30 in the morning here Group E in this country Group D E Great Britain against group Japan e. oh yeah so there's four men's group three women's groups so Group E so Great Britain looking forward uh, to that one then on Friday the opening ceremony which we've yes. talked about Michael yes. will be looking forward to that there was actually rowing before that Midnight till four o'clock in the morning this Friday, July 23rd, day zero at the Sea Forest Waterway. Victoria Thornley, Graham Thomas, John Collins. They're the single skulls and men's double skulls. And then you've got the men's quadruple skulls and the women's quadruple skulls all in heat action before the actual opening ceremony takes place that night. You've also got um, sports like softball, which are uh, starting early as well. So there are going to be a few little things to catch up. And there's archery as well. There'll be some of the, the ranking rounds, if you like, for the archery, um, because that will then set the seeding for when they go into the competition. And archery, is, as we said earlier, is one of those sports that starts early. Could be an early medal chance, maybe, for Great Britain, who will have a really significant medal chance in the first medal event of the Games, which is the women's... 10 metre air rifle, Shona McIntosh going in that one 
Um, she'll probably be more focused, I think, on her second event, which is the 50 metre three position, but she is a, an outside chance of a medal, and we could have a medal in the early hours of Saturday, the 24th of July. I mentioned the men's cycling road race at the Fuji International Speedway, Saturday, three o'clock in the morning, this time here in this country, Theo Gagan-Hart, Geraint Thomas, Adam Yates and Simon Yates all in action in the men's cycling road race on the Saturday and then the women are in action with Lizzie Dynan and Anna Shackley in action again from five o'clock on Sunday morning. That's Sunday, so day two in effect of the Olympics and Michael an interesting one for you late Sunday night early Monday morning triathlon yeah again terrific medal chances um, I would say possibly probably more in the women's triathlon which is uh, a day later but Alex Yi has got to go there with some confidence after his performance in Leeds don't write Johnny Brownlee off he's been there before he's won a bronze he's won a silver this one he's going for gold of course um, as you say, late on Sunday night into the early hours of Monday morning. And then the women, of course, just such a strong team. Vicky Holland, bronze medalist from Rio. Jess Learmont, Georgia Taylor-Brown, the world champion as well. You would hope for a couple of triathlon medals over those first three or four days. Also on Sunday, you mentioned taekwondo, Jay Jones and Bradley Sinden. The world champion Bradley Sinden, the first ever uh, medalist for Great Britain in the male uh, winning, coming through since Rio Bradley. And then Jay Jones, of course, going for a third Olympic gold medal. She's the double Olympic champion already. That's on Sunday. So there's so much to go through. We mentioned that we will be trying to tweet through the days to give you an idea of what you should be looking out for uh, over the course of the days. Tom Daly and Matty Lee will be in action in the 10-metre synchro because we heard from them in earlier podcasts. They're really good mates, and they have to be for Synchro. While Scarlett Mew Jensen is a rising diving star for Team GB, she'll be making her Olympic debut in the three-metre springboard in Tokyo. We've been, you know, knowing about the team for a while, but it's been on the like low down, obviously. But, um, no, it's, it's absolutely incredible to be a part of the team. I think I've only seen it on TV, and, like, I obviously was really young and... Yeah, no, it's, it's yeah, I'm, I'm completely speechless. I don't really know what to say. Like, it's amazing. It's good that you're so exciting, yeah. so excited about it, because mm-hmm. how long have you been working to get to this point? It has been a really ridiculous journey. I mean, we've been on and off for, you know, a year and a half now, um, in and out of the pool. You know, we've obviously, we got really lucky with being able to train at the pool. And, you know, GLL have been amazing. And, yeah, so we've... It's been a roller coaster, very cliche, but it has been. Um, but it's such an honour to be a part of the team, and you know, obviously during these times, it's amazing. It's going ahead. So, yeah. Tell us about where we are at the Aquatic Centre. This is where you train mm-hmm. with 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 Dive London and that and that team. So many of those now going to Tokyo as well. It's absolutely amazing. I mean, being able to train here anyway is amazing because it's such a great place to be even outside of the pool it's an amazing place to hang out and I'm only I'm local as well so I'm like 20 minutes down the road so yeah the the area is amazing and especially to be a part of the team that I already train with every day and I see every day it's a little family so yeah it's it's yeah incredible to be a part of the family of an Olympic team 
12 divers have mm -hmm. been named today, more than went to Rio, mm -hmm. where of course won four, three medals. Mm -hmm. What are you hoping to do as, as a team and yourself in, in Tokyo? I think just, you know, we had such an amazing World Cup and, you know, we obviously came out with an incredible result. And I think we, we're all just planning to go go ahead and do the same as we did and more. I think, you know, we've got more medal potentials, a load of final potentials, and I think it's just being that consistent and keeping ourselves focused on just, yeah, each other. And, and you mentioned that World Cup, that was in, mm. in Tokyo uh, as, a, as a test event. Mm -hmm. what, what, what was it like and the reception that you actually got? Really, really good. I think we obviously didn't know what to expect. Like it's, very ambiguous so we were very like skeptical on you know whether we were going to get fresh air and which we didn't but <laughs> um no it was it was really well put together and all of us felt you know secure and fine so yeah no, it was really really amazing venue as well and it's amazing to go back there as well because so many people keep saying to me and I work in the Olympics like, like you do. Mm -hmm. Is it going to go ahead? Is it going to go ahead? Yeah. And I mean, from an athlete's point of view, that must be really frustrating because you mm -hmm. need to focus on what you're doing. But you were there. It was safe. You competed. And that's what we need to get that message out there. No, absolutely. I think, yeah, there was so much of a, you know, are we going? Are we not going? And it was even close to the time, you know, it got cancelled initially. And then we were all like, oh, OK. Well, at the time we were doing a, a test event. So we were doing like a virtual meet. And we got told, the girls got told, like, sort of right before that, you know, it was going to be cancelled. And we were like, oh, OK, sort of tried to be a bit more relaxed. And then, you know, a week later it was back on. And so it's been a bit like we've been, we've had to be flexible. But um, overall, it's been, they've done, they've handled it really well. Last question then. This park, you mentioned um, you grow up, grew up or at home mm -hmm. 20 minutes away. 2012, the home of, of the Olympics. What were, how did that inspire you to get to where you are now? Uh, I mean, words can't describe how much it inspired me and it, it drove me to be, you know, a part of it. And I think, especially having it in London, I think really made that Olympic dream so much more intense. And to have that dream come true, you know, a couple, well, two cycles later is absolutely insane. It's so incredible. Yeah. Do you have any memories, particular memories of 2012? Um, I actually did a like a BBC video of myself and I, I was actually looking back at it the other day and I'm so small, I'm so young. I think I was like 11 and I'm like, it's obviously like, oh, Scar's got a dream and all this stuff. And I'm like, it's absolutely amazing to think, you know, that's actually coming true. And uh, memories, definitely seeing Tom, seeing, seeing Tom compete. And obviously now I train with him and have him as my, you know, my mate and part of my family. So it's, yeah surreal <laughs> well many congratulations thank again you. thank you very much for talking to anything but footy thank you so much <laughs> just a couple of other things just to put in your olympic diary if you want when you get up on that saturday morning maybe switch on the telly and look out for ashley mckenzie in the judo he's back of course as part of team gb you'll need to come through the elimination rounds which i'm not expecting you to be awake for they're between 3 a.m and 6 30. if he gets through those though he will be uh, going for his medal from around about nine o'clock in the morning You've also got potentially Andy Murray starting his tournament. Three-on-three -three basketball starts on that first Saturday. 
You've got hockey matches beginning as well. Team GB looking to defend that women's gold medal they won in Rio. The women start against Germany in the early hours of Sunday morning. And then talking of Sunday as well, you've got surfing potentially making its debut. You've got skateboarding potentially making its debut as well. And one other thing just to point out as well in that first weekend, could be the first canoe medal for Adam Burgess in the C1. Need to be up at around about six o'clock on Monday morning for that one. Fingers crossed that you and I will be there uh, watching it. I'm absolutely sure. And as I say, we will keep we try and keep you up to date on social media uh, as much as we can. And if you are a fan of anything but footy, then make sure you tune in to Talk Sport and hear Michael throughout the two weeks, popping up here, there, everywhere, uh, any time of the day, any time of the night. He will be bringing all the action on Talk Sport and well worth tuning in for. Well, that's very kind of you to mention that. Thank you. Uh, you can get in touch with us anytime at Anything But F on Twitter. Message us on Instagram or Facebook. Find us online, anythingbutfooty.com, or drop us an email, anythingbutfooty at gmail.com. Finally, it is time for the talking to stop. It is time for Tokyo 2020 in 2021. Podcast Network.